Greetings and thanks for coming. Um, good to see you. I, uh, we're in the second Sunday of our Advent series. It's the second Sunday of Advent today, and we're in the we're going through these four big themes that everybody loves and, and very familiar with around Christmas time. And um, hope, it's peace, it's joy, and love. And Rob did a fantastic job with hope last week, and we're moving on to. To peace, it's a, it's a word that um, conjures up all kinds of sentimental ideas. You know, one of the, one of the things that I, I hope to be today is, is, um, is clear, though. I know it's very easy around Christmas time to, to, to use words that are very emotive and kind of evoke a, a mood. I mean, you just start talking about hope and joy and peace and snow and shepherds and babies and, you know, you just kind of get all warm fuzzy inside and, you know, you have no idea, you may not have any idea what these things are about, you know, but, you know, you just know you're supposed to feel peace at Christmas time and so you kind of just run with that. So, but to, today I, I hope to maybe not be so sentimental, though I love sentimental things. I am a hopeless romantic when it snows. I am much more excited than my five kids. It is I'm all about that stuff. So today we're going to be clear, um, and the sentiment and the, you know, and the mood will come, I promise. When it snows, we'll all be sentimental and emotional and moody. But today we're going to try to be clear um, about what are these things and, and what really is Christmas peace. It's a word that we throw out and we know that it's important, especially around Christmas time, but really what is it? And uh, to dive into this, I'm, I'm going to use a passage that that you've probably heard before. Um, it's out of Luke chapter 2. This is, these are, you know, before Jesus is born, um, God announces through his agents, his angels, to several groups of people that the Messiah is about to arrive. The long-awaited Messiah is about to arrive. And so I'm going to read this passage for us, and we will, we'll get into this idea of what is, what is peace and where does it come from? So the angel is talking to the shepherds and, that are in the fields next to Bethlehem. And the angel said to them, fear not. You know it's an angel talking when their first words are fear not. Because when the angels show up, everyone's afraid. Their first hello is, hello, fear not. Um, so behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. So, again, what is, what is this peace that's being promised here? What is it? What does it mean? Let's be clear about this. Let's be challenged. And I think one of the ways to be clear is to say, okay, what does it not mean? What is the angel saying? And, and what is Jesus not promising to bring? Well, it doesn't mean political or world peace. Um, because there's a few things that help us with that. You know, there's a lot of opinions, though, as to whether Christianity has actually helped or hurt world peace. Because ever since Jesus came, things have gotten worse, actually. <laughs> Wars, conflicts between nations, World War I, World War II, pretty much shattered our utopian idea of world peace pretty, pretty, hand, pretty handedly. Um, 
So if we were to say that Jesus had come to bring world peace, that he's pretty much failed. And the church has pretty much failed. But we know from something that Jesus said even a little after this in chapter 21 of Luke, that he says that he says himself that wars are going to continue even until the end of the age. When I come back, there's going to be wars still going on. Again, not that we don't fight for peace or hope for peace or push for peace or yearn for it between people and between nations, but Jesus didn't primarily come to bring that peace. Certainly could be a byproduct, but let's keep going. Maybe he brought relational peace. Well, people say, well, okay, if it's not on a global scale or world scale, maybe it's on a relational scale. That's what Jesus is promising. And, and there's a verse in Luke 12 as well. And this is a different verse from the one we just read. And, and I wonder why we don't put this on our Christmas cards. Let's, but it says this, Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No. I tell you, I brought rather to bring division. Don't put this on your Christmas card. All right. But let's go with it. From, from now on, one in one house will be, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and on and on and on. So he said that Jesus, you know what, as I call you to myself, and I speak truth, and I'm calling you to obey that truth and to follow me, you're going to have to choose me over relationships. He's not opposed to relationships, but at some point in time, your loyalties have to lie with Christ. And we may not be able to choose the peace and satisfaction and joy that come through our best friends even. So we know that Jesus is not primarily coming to say, I'm going to make all your relationships peaceful. And please don't take this to mean as well that Jesus is somehow behind these wars that are fought in the name of religion. It's another mistake that we can make. The, these, these religious wars between Catholics and Protestants and, and all the different things that we've seen throughout world history, Jesus is not doing that. They're done in the name of Christ, but they're motivated by economics and politics and self-interest and all kinds of things. Like right now, and I mean, in my lifetime, one of the biggest ones I can think of is in Ireland between the Catholics and the Protestants. And, you know, and this, this, this joke will help us see what's going on here, really. This guy is walking out of a bar, and this was either a Catholic or a Protestant bar. And if you know what's going on over there, there's areas where you just, if you're a Protestant, you don't go to Catholic areas. Catholic areas, you don't go to Protestant areas. It's, you know, it's still pretty tense. And um, so this guy's walking out of a bar, and some, some guys grab him and, and say, are you a Catholic or a Protestant? And he's like, I'm an atheist. <laughs> he's like, we understand that, but are you a Catholic atheist or a Protestant atheist? And so we get the point. Those, those things are not about Jesus at all. So there's lots of confusions about this peace. And the angels are proclaiming that Jesus brings peace. What is it? So today I want to get after what is this peace? And here's how it's, it's going to go. If you're taking notes, we're going to talk about what is this peace that was promised at Jesus Springs? What is it really? Secondly, we're going to talk about is this, is this peace that's promised, is it universal? Or is it really enough? Is this peace that Christ promises, is it enough for us? Is it really as good as the angels say, this peace? Is, I mean, is it worth a whole heavenly host getting excited about it? Is, is, is it really that good? And what is, thirdly, what are counterfeits to that peace? What are some counterfeits that could keep us from really experiencing the real thing? And for what difference does this real peace make in my life today? And fifthly, how do we get it? How do we get it? If it's all that good, 
I want to know how to get it. So, a more careful reading, though, of what the angels say will, will, will help us figure out what kind of peace this is that, that Jesus has promised to bring. This is what it says again. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's what I read. But I bet that's not what you heard. What you heard was probably what we, what the idea, was really the translation that we've grown up with, with this phrase. And it was captured first by the King James Version. which said this, it says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, comma, goodwill toward men. Now you can see from that, from that reading, it's very easy to think, hey, this is talking about God is no longer angry with anybody. He loves everyone now. And now because Jesus came, now it is universal. I am in love with everyone. Goodwill toward all men is what it says. Everyone loves that idea. But the reality is that most scholars now believe and have studied it and looked at it that the King James actually got it wrong. Um, in the original language, it's best understood to mean this. Jesus is declaring peace to those toward whom God has goodwill. So peace is now being promised to those to whom now God is pleasantly disposed. Means that there is bad will, that God still has bad will towards some, ill will towards some, He is against some, but He is, has goodwill toward others. And now Jesus is saying peace toward those people. So we see that peace is not necessarily between people, between nations, but we see that this peace is really found in a relationship with God. He's talking about our, the peace we can have with God. It's not talking about an inner, an inner, eternal, peaceful equilibrium that we so often desire, but it's talking about Jesus came to bring peace between man and God. We just sang about it, actually. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. This is the peace we sing of at Christmas, being reconciled to God. And what I really want us to get this morning, this peace is not circumstantial, it is not subjective, it is absolute and it is final. Now there's other kind of peace related to this. But it's always secondary. And it's always partial. I mean, think about your relationships. Think about even your best relationships. Think about your best friend or your spouse or the, the, guy, the guys you're the most closest with and tight with. Guess what? If you haven't already, very soon, maybe even before you get out of here this morning, you're going to sin against them. And there's going to be some anger. And there's going to be hurt. And there's going to be some offense. And this peace that you're enjoying right now with your spouse and your kid, your best friend, whatever, it's going to go away. It's subjective. It's here one moment and gone the next. We'll always be sinning. We'll always be needing to forgive one another. So in contrast to this, we see that real peace, real peace with God is enduring. It doesn't depend upon our last phone conversation. It doesn't depend upon how good we've done or how much we've earned God's favor. It depends upon Jesus. And we'll see that it is absolute and final. Look at Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. 
Therefore, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received. There's no process. There's no partiality. There's no degrees even. You have been reconciled. Therefore, we have peace with God through Jesus. It gets better. Colossians chapter 1 says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. Sounds pretty final, doesn't it? Think, Think about this. We were enemies, hostile toward God. You may, sitting here today, you may not be feeling, thinking, I'm really, I'm at war with God. I believe in God, and I'm at peace with God. But in our natural state, our natural proclivity, it's not indifference toward God. So that we need some sort of motivation now to be more flat out for Him. Or our our issue is not um, ignorance. So that we might need information. Every person alive is either at peace or at war with the God of the Bible. But here it says that God is holy, completely perfect and in every way. And the great news is that now we are holy. It says that Jesus was blameless, that he never sinned. But this says that since we have been reconciled in his body of flesh, we are now called blameless. We're now also said that we are above reproach. No accusations, nothing can be laid against us. No reproach possible. No sin can be laid at our feet that we are now found guilty for. It is absolute. It is final. It is done. We have peace with God. And guys, our whole lives, our entire life could change in a moment if we get this. If we get that our peace with God is not a process. We wonder all the time, are my sins actually forgiven? My past sins, my present sins, the sins I'm going to do tomorrow. How do I know for sure it is forgiven? There are so many things that we could lay up against that answer. We could say, if I repent of everything, if I confess everything, if my repentance is deep enough, if I say I'm really, really, really sorry and I'll never do it again, I actually said that to God once. I mean, I was so desperate to know if my sin, I was, you know, will you just forgive me this last time? I'll never do it again, I promise. We know that our peace with God is dependent upon our sins being forgiven. That thing which causes us to be, en- to be enemies and which causes us to be hostile toward Him and which causes God to be hostile towards us. It's our sin against Him. It's us spending our whole life saying, I don't need you. How do we know that's gone? The question is, has Christ died? Has he been raised again? That's how you know your sins are gone and you have peace with God. You cannot find peace within yourself. You can dig down as far as the rabbit hole goes. You can drill dreet till the end. Second service. Let's start over. You can drill as deep into your soul as possible. You won't find peace there. Has Christ died? Then you and I are reconciled with God. That's what our peace is based on. Now, Christianity is unique in this. Know this. Appreciate this. I mean, absolute holiness, blameless, without reproach, peace with God. You didn't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to change it. 
Jesus died, rose again for you. Boom. Peace with God. Christianity is absolutely unique in this. Every other system, every other religion offers a process to holiness. A way to be less blameless or more blameless. Or a way to gain favor. Here's the reality. Whether you agree with any of this or not, whether you believe in Jesus, whether any of this makes sense, you still have to wonder at this offer. You still have to be amazed that this is offered. Even if you don't believe it. Because if you're not amazed by it, if you're not amazed, then you don't know enough about it to reject it. So hang in there and listen. Now, the real question this morning is, is this peace the wonder of your life? We may think about it. We may know something objective about it. We may intellectually know this. But I want to know, is this peace the real wonder of your life? And if it's not, if it's not, then you probably don't believe that it's enough. But I want to prove to you that it is. I want to prove to you this morning that this peace that Jesus offers is enough for you to be an enduring peace. To be good enough to sing about. Come with me to John 14. This is taking us all the way from Christ's birth. We're going to fast forward all the way to the last, literally the last day. The last night of Jesus' life on earth. Before he dies, before he's raised again. Now, we're going to go to his last conversation that he has with the disciples. Think about this. These men have lost, have left their wives, left their kids, left their jobs. These 12 men have left everything to follow Jesus for the last three years. And tonight, it's all over. In this conversation, this is what Jesus has just said to them. He says, Jesus told them that one of them is going to be a traitor. And then he's going to tell them that Peter, the one that they follow pretty much the most besides Jesus, is going to deny Jesus and all of them before the morning comes. And he's saying that, guess what? This gig is over. I'm going to the cross. I'm gone. And the disciples are absolutely unnerved. This is their family. They've been together for three years. They have have been baked together. They've been led by Jesus through all of these things, and it's, it's over tonight. So Jesus is trying to comfort them. This is what he says. He says, he takes literally an entire chapter in John, John recording this. There's 15 different things that he says or reminds them of. And I'm going to talk about one. This is the capstone, the, the end of it all. John 14, 27. This is what Jesus says. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Jesus wants to comfort his disciples. Think about this. He is hours away. Judas is on his way with the Roman posse to come arrest him. The disciples are going to be scattered. Jesus is hours away from bearing the sin of the world. He's about ready to get mocked and scourged and beaten. Yet his concern is not about himself. It's about his disciples. That is peace with God. He's so at peace in this, he can actually care about someone else in the midst of his, I mean, hours before his own death and suffering. This is, the, this is the, the ultimate reason why Jesus was born in the first place, and it's about to come to fruition, and he cares about his friends. Peace I leave with you. But not as the world gives does he give peace. 
That's how I want to work through the sentence backwards this morning. So not as the world gives. If we, again, I'm after clarity this morning. What is this peace? It's going to help us to know what is it not. So what is this peace that the world gives? How is it different from the peace that Jesus is? What are the counterfeits? Now, a counterfeit peace that we're all very familiar with is based on circumstances, based on peaceful things happening in our life. You know this. I know this. We're all driven to find peace in secure things. Job security, wife security, home security, social security. I mean, we're, we find security in all these things that are, that, are, that are external to us. My, I know for sure that as long as I am at peace with my boss, my friends, my kids, my in-laws, you name it, then I will be at peace. Of course, there's a measure of peace that comes with those things, but is that really what Jesus is dying for? Those things that can be here one second and gone the next? My family's just getting over a three and a half month house renovation. We have been living, all six of us, well, seven of us, including me, we've been living about 700 square feet in our basement. Our kitchen was being re- remodeled and devastated and destroyed and is now rebuilt, thank God. But we literally lived for three months eating out of, a, out of a toaster oven, a microwave, a beer fridge in the basement. Our utility room, right there, literally, we cooked dinner on top of the washer and dryer for three months. My wife is absolutely amazing. She kept us fed. Unbelievable. Now, we certainly came close to murder plenty during these three months. I did not realize how much I needed every square inch of my house for peace. My hope is built on nothing less than a 3,000 square foot house. I needed all of it. Here's the thing. You don't realize how much your peace rests in circumstances until your circumstances change. We can all say, I have peace with God. I have peace like a river. You know, Mm-mm. You've got peace as good as last night. You've got peace as good as lunch. You've got peace as good as the last phone call. It changes all the time. We don't realize how much we are, we are living in really a counterfeit peace until stuff changes. And you know, God in his mercy changes stuff for us so we can find the real thing, so we don't not deceive so much by the counterfeits. Second thing we know about Christ's peace versus the world peace is that it's an intelligent peace. Christ's peace is an intelligent peace, not a stupid one. Not a stupid one. Um... Any medical students here with us at the service? There was one in the first. No medical students. Okay. How about anybody studying economics? Anybody? Okay. Sweet. One. All right. Two. Fantastic. All right. It's in, it's in medical. It's in economics. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, or maybe you're just like a lot of moms here that look up WebMD on the internet and look up all the diseases and germs and all the things that are possible to attack your kids. It's absolutely overwhelming when you start to think about it. I know that I'm, I'm thinking of the medical field. Just I can, you know, I don't know if any of the anyone that's ever gotten into this. It's just like when you start reading about the diseases that are possible that all have names, the germs that are there that are like on your hands right now that have your name on it. You know, that are after you. I mean, it's absolutely overwhelming. I mean, even for like. Not people that are nervous. It's overwhelming once you get into all the... I mean, I just do not want to know what's going on in my body right now. I do not want to know. 
I'm 40 years old. I need a physical. I'm not going to get a physical. Well, I, I will, but you know what I mean. I don't want to. It can be overwhelming. And there was, a, there was a medical student who was dealing with all this and learning all this for the first time. And he went to his professor. He said, based on all the suffering that is possible and all the disease that is possible, how do you stay sane at night? Knowing all the things that can go wrong with the human body. The professor says, well, you know, I do what all intelligent people do. I don't think too much. If you want peace, don't think too much. That's what we're being told. There's books galore that say don't dwell on the truth. It's too much. Ignore harsh truth. Be selective about what you focus on and what you think about. Ignore all of the bad information. Ignore all of the truth about what's going on in the world. And just surround yourself with shiny, happy things. Now, literally, I heard someone say, if you want to be an encouraged person, you have to remove everything that's discouraging around you. That's what the world's peace does. It actually says, don't think. But Christian peace is absolutely opposite. We don't have to turn away from the realities of life We can embrace them and the riches of Christ at the same time. We don't have to deny disease and the suffering we see. We can literally take hold of all of the pain and suffering that we see and grab hold of that along with the knowledge that this world is jacked up because of sin and that Jesus is one day going to fix it all to remove the presence of sin and suffering from us. See, we can spend time thinking hard and embracing all this stuff. We do not have to stick our head in the sand when it comes to bad news or intimidating information, Christ's peace allows us to be honest about our sin and its effects. Listen to what Edward says in, a, in, in his message on this. He says, Christ's peace is reasonable. It's a reasonable peace and a rest for the soul. It has what it is foundation, light and knowledge. It has the proper exercise of, region, of reason sorry, and the right view of things. But the peace of the world is founded on blindness and delusion. They know what is true concerning themselves, the people of God do. The state and condition they are in. The more they know of God and what manner of being He is, the more certain they are of another world and a future judgment and of the truth of God's threatenings and promises. The more their consciences are awakened and enlightened. And the brighter and the more searching the light, the more is their peace established. That's why we're not afraid after every sermon we preach to give you two minutes to sit in silence and to reflect. Knowing that the peace of God is available for you, we want you to think. We don't want you to be afraid. Whereas on the contrary, the peace that men of the world have is kept in ignorance. They must be blindfolded and deceived. Otherwise, they can have no peace But let the light in upon their consciences and they look about them and see what they are and what their circumstances they are in. It will at once destroy all their quietness and comfort. The peace, their peace can live nowhere but in the dark. The worldly man's peace cannot be maintained but by avoiding consideration and reflection. How vast a difference then is there between the peace of a Christian and the peace of the world. How miserable are they who cannot enjoy peace except they hide their eyes from the light and confine themselves to darkness. Their peace is stupidity. Now, how many things do we do to avoid truth? 
I can remember in high school, before I knew anything about, I mean, I knew a lot about Jesus, but before he was real to me, I could not stand to be alone. To be quiet was to be miserable. I would literally listen to music all day long. And back then it was harder because all we had was radios. We didn't have iPods. I would listen to the radio literally up until I went to bed. You know how on the alarm clocks you can put it on sleep and it'll go off, you know, after a while? I would literally go to bed listening to the radio and my alarm, I wouldn't let just be the siren like, eh, eh, eh. I'd put it to music. I'd put it on a radio station so that the first thing I would hear when I woke up in the morning were DJs making stupid jokes, helping people to get over their Monday work week as they drive to work. I couldn't stand to be alone. I could not stand to let myself for one minute consider the emptiness and the darkness and the reality of my rebellion and my lostness before God. I knew way too much to be happy saying, I don't need you, God. See, the peace of a Christian doesn't depend on anything but the truth. And that is so, that is so comforting. Because we know if it's based on the truth, it's enduring. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to hide. We can be honest about who we are and who God is and embrace it all. So what difference does this peace with God make? This kind of peace. Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. The reality is that we get the same peace that Jesus had. What was Jesus' peace based on? Was it based on circumstances? Was it based on how well things were going? If you really read the gospel well, things didn't go well for him. We see that his peace was based on a perfect righteousness for his Father. In fact, John records earlier that Jesus said that the Father has not left me alone. Jesus emphatically declares, I am not alone. The Father is always with me. Why? He says, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus' peace with God was based on righteousness. Perfect obedience and righteousness. That's the peace that you and I get. We don't get peace like a commodity, like it's, like it's, like, like it's a gift, like it's a box or a thing. Jesus actually invites us into the very peace that he has with God. Compare that to the peace the world offers. Think about the perfect peace that Jesus had. He enjoyed uninterrupted peace his entire life because he always did what his father wanted him to do. Except for those few hours on the cross when he was suffering for our sins, he enjoyed absolutely uninterrupted peace with God. Isaiah 53 a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, though. We see that the peace of God doesn't necessarily remove sadness. You know, we're never commanded to not be sad in the Scriptures. We're often commanded not to be afraid. In fact, that's what Jesus is saying. The disciples are, don't be afraid. Be at peace. Even though all this is happening, don't be afraid. In reality, the closer we get to Jesus and the closer we get to this grace and the closer we get to peace with God, He turns our rock-hard hearts into silly putty. And if your heart gets soft, you're going to hurt. You're going to feel other people's pain. The moment you get your eyes off your sin-sick, shriveled-up, selfish soul, you're going to care about other people and you are going to get hurt. The gospel invites us to absolute peace with God, but it also invites us to hurt with others. 
to weep with those who weep. Welcome to the club. That's what Jesus did. Man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He, wa- he walked around. He saw people that were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And it said that he, his heart was moved with compassion for those around him. Psalm 46 says, reminds us, it teaches us, it's an it's a incredibly bold statement about how enduring the peace of God is, the peace that Jesus had is. God is our refuge and strength. Psalm, Psalm 46. A very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way and though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters foam, Though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. We're supposed to rejoice in the middle of tragedy. We're supposed to have peace in the middle of sadness. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be real about what's going on. It's, really, it's okay to, be, to feel moved. But we have peace within it and in spite of it. That is the peace of God. David here is not talking about a little earth, literal earthquake or tsunami, though it could include that. He's talking about the things in our lives that seem as secure as mountains. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your house seem as secure like they'll never go away. But they can get moved into the heart of the sea in an instant. What's going to keep you? The river of God. Peace like a river. And with this heart and with this mind, we can literally absorb anything. We can go through anything. Because it's a peace that is constant. It is a peace that is like a river. Spurgeon said this, quoting Martin Luther, you know how there's some things that you try forever to remember and you can never remember like a phone number or someone's name and then there's stuff that you hear one time and you can never forget it though you want to? The, I read this years ago what Luther said. I, it's offensive so enjoy it but I cannot forget it. Spurgeon said, going, he's quoting Martin Luther but he said, since sin is forgiven can it ever matter what happens to you now? Luther said, smite, Lord smite for my sin is forgiven. If you have forgiven me, smite me as hard as you will. In a similar spirit, Spurgeon says, you may say, send sickness and poverty, send losses and crosses, persecution, what thou wilt. You have forgiven me, and my soul is glad. So guys, we've seen what is this peace that was promised. We've seen, I hope that it's really enough. We've seen that what the counterfeits are, and we've seen the difference this heart makes. Now, how do we get it? All right, I said everything I said to say this. Remember the context. Jesus is leaving. His hours of suffering are about to begin. What is he going to give his disciples? Here's this phrase. This phrase, it says, peace. The first thing he says is, peace I leave to you. This word leave it's, it's really the same word that's used for bequeath. What you would use if you were leaving an estate or some goods or some things to someone in a will. But 
Think about it this way. Jesus is literally getting rid of his estate and giving it to his disciples. Think of all the things that Jesus could leave with his disciples. Promise for a good future. Plenty of money. A beautiful marriage that you could blog about and make a lot of money. Think of all the things that Jesus could have promised them. Security. I mean, it was in his power. I mean, he absolutely could have said, you know what? Guess what? You followed me well. You, you've been faithful. This is what you get. And it could have been stuff. But you know the reality of it is? God in his sovereignty gives that stuff to people he doesn't even like. God in his sovereignty gives houses and money and people and things to people that are literally his enemies. What does he do? He does what you and I would do. We would save our best for our kids. We would give them the best thing we have to offer. That's what all of us are going to do in our last will and testament. This is Jesus' last will and testament. He says, the best thing I can leave you is not any of that stuff. It can be peace with God. That is the best thing I have in my estate. Now, how do we get it? Well, we know that when something is given to us in a will, it can be written out before they die. My wife and I need to do this. Please don't like, be upset with me. I don't have a will right now. I need one. I need to write out. Right now, if I get hit by a bus on my way home, you, you guys get to fight over my kids. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to them. So any lawyers here, you can write something up. I'll pay you. I'll sign it. Thank you very much. But, but nothing that we promise to someone in a will, they get before we die. How do we know that we have peace with God? It's not something that we can earn. It comes to us simply through the death of our dying Savior. This is how we get peace with God. Jesus has left it to us in his will, and he has died. Therefore, it is executed by. His will is executed and given out. The, ex- the executor of the will, the Holy Spirit, is now giving us the peace that Jesus promised, and he has died, and we get peace with God. Here's how this helps us. I've assumed something the whole time, and I'm going to just say it clearly now. That the opposite of peace and fear, the opposite of peace is fear and anxiety. And what does that trace to? It's traced to sin. And let's be honest. I mean, if you look at Adam and Eve, they're walking with God in the cool of the day. Everything is great. They one day said, you know what, God? I no longer want you. I no longer need you. I will choose my own way instead. And immediately, fear enters the world. They were walking with God one day, totally in peace, enjoying fellowship with God. And next thing you know, they're hiding in the bushes, naked. Sin that separates us from God is us saying our whole life, I do not need you. I'll take your stuff. Your stuff is better than you. I'll take the stuff. I need the stuff. I don't need you. That is sin. Well, how do we get this peace we long for? How does does now the peace of God make sense to us? 
we see that at every point that we fall short, at every point that we have said, God, I do not need you, Jesus, in our place, says, God the Father, you are all I ever want and need. Every time we disobey, we see that Jesus obeyed perfectly. Every time we say to God, I don't need you, Jesus in our place says like David did, there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. Because Jesus lived that perfect life, because he always needed God and always depended upon God and always obeyed him, God now receives us to himself based on that perfect record. We now have peace with God. Now how do we really get this? How did Paul really get this? How did it get from Paul's head to his heart? And when I read this, I should really read this and I should shout when I read this. It's so exciting, Romans 8. I mean, I'm not going to shout because I've got to scare you, but this should be read shouting. Next time you read this by yourself, shout. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him... Up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is right now indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor depth, nor height, nor anything else in all creation be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That is peace with God. And that is enough. That is what the angels promised. Now, if you do not have this peace today, it could be for a couple of reasons. One, God does not have goodwill toward you. He is not for you and you are not for him. He is against you because you are still against him. You've rejected him. You've rejected his commands. And like Adam, you have said your whole life, I don't need you. You have no peace today because your conscience won't let you. Here's where you need to start. If you've seen how fleeting your counterfeit peace is today and you want to fly to all of this that we've talked about, simply start by saying, God, I need you. I've heard so many people pray. They have so much to say, but they never say these words. They never bring themselves to say, God, I need you. If you don't have peace today, pray, just pray that. Now, for those of you that may know intellectually this peace, and you know it's true, but it's not real for you this morning, I do want to encourage you, don't look inward. Don't try to figure out what went wrong. Don't try to try to go back to where things were peaceful last and try to recreate the past and figure out and untangle all that you've done to lose your peace. You'll never make it back. Don't dig inward. Don't look inward. Don't go back. Look to Jesus. All you need to say to the Holy Spirit is, I need you. You know, right before Jesus said, this peace I give to you, he said this, which is even... Just as cool. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Don't try to figure this out on your own. Even with all the great things I've said today, you can still try to figure this piece out and try to get it on your own. 
Don't do that. Grab Romans 8 that I just read from and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you because you need Him and let Him lead you in repentance and faith. And your heart will turn back to flesh. And you'll have peace again. And you'll have peace with others. Let's pray. God, I ask that as we prepare to take communion together that you would search us. God, that you would reveal to us the the places that we've settled for a counterfeit peace. It's all the more troubling when we see how much peace has been accomplished for us and offered to us that we don't avail ourselves of. God, help us now receive these things with joy, receive these things with peace, receive these things with conviction, and sort us out with your truth. Amen.